Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hello, Mike. Hey, Al. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm real good. It's uh, chilly. It's chilly all across the United States. Um, chilly for Florida here is about yeah. 45, 50. We need to just shut our mouths about that because our cousin is in South Dakota and she was sending us Snapchat messages yesterday and it was negative 17 degrees and no... That was not with the wind chill. Yeah. That was their actual temperature. Every time you're always like, well, the wind chill, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, let's just talk about the air. Okay. Because everybody yeah, wants to talk but... about the wind chill and then like, okay, make it even colder because it's like dramatic and stuff. But it's like, let's talk about the actual temperature. And I like to talk about the wind chill. I know because it's colder, right? It was funny though. Speaking of temperatures, I was in my ICU meeting at work on Friday and the doctor was like, um, my parents are in Montana. Look at these temperatures. And the wind chill was negative 50. And the nurse running the meeting was like, well, it's going to be like 30 degrees here next week. And I was like, that's still an 80 degree difference. Yeah. Uh, well, not the wind chill. You didn't talk wind chill to wind chill. You're talking uh, air to wind chill. You see where I'm getting can at Can we here? talk about me putting my head through this plate glass window next to me? You wish it was plate glass. I would never <laughs> spend that kind of money. Cheap ass window. <laughs> we can hear the outdoors oh like God. directly because the window is not quite in the frame. So we'll get that fixed eventually. We have a okay. heating pad on our dog's bed because she sits in the window. And actually, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see our precious little angel. Yeah, she's got her. It's, it's on like level one so it doesn't burn her or anything i don't think it yeah yeah it's, just, it's it. just on a low level with a blanket over it just to keep her nice and cozy because she's yeah. only five pounds it's like she's on her mama yeah she's a baby yeah yeah so uh what's been going on with you this week uh just getting the kids back to school um they we had a st- random storm this week that prevented them from going back to school on tuesday so rainstorm down here in florida so and not, wind yeah yeah, no, 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 uh, snow down here. No. So, uh, just getting back into the swing of things, yeah. which I, I'm, I find that I'm a very big routine person. Yeah, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and uh, they were like, "Man, it's so weird." Oh, it was about when we went to the Saturday morning market. Okay, and we were talking to this guy that was selling me some tea, some green tea that I spent a lot of money on, like fifty dollars for like a thing of tea. You didn't think I would buy it? It's powder, and yeah. you use a fourth of a teaspoon of powder for every cup. So I made a. Uh, tea latte yesterday this thing will last a very very long time so don't think mike spent like 50 dollars on a cup of tea no no it'll make like close to 200 cups of tea they say 200 and it's supposed to be very good for antioxidants and all that kind it of stuff it was delicious absolutely delicious yeah so, you made a latte and it was delicious i digress but um anyway so we were talking and he was like yeah you know I, this is really good for working out and stuff it helps with protein synthesis i'm like how do you know it helps with protein protein synthesis and he said that and he's like i don't know i could just lift more when i have it and i'm like okay that's good enough for me so well, i'm sure the studies are there yeah maybe i don't know so uh, I was just like, no, we were kind of like, you know, you know, growing up kind of like, you know, we both work out. We're like, yeah, yeah, here, you pound some weights in the gym. And he's like, you know, actually, last week I didn't work out very much. It was only like twice during the week or something. I'm like, yeah, same with me. Like, it's just like it, we're, we're out of our element. And then, you know, because of Christmas and because of holidays. New and year. Yeah, New Year and having some time off. People mm-hmm. take time off of work. And it's like, okay, now we're back in the swing of things and it feels good to be back into the habits. Which is a good thing. It's good to want to return back to your normal life. Like, we went away for a couple nights to Orlando. And I was eager to just get back to my routine. I'm just very regimented. It's one of the nice parts about um, living where we are. We can just kind of go to Orlando where there's like a million different hotels. We didn't go to Disney because, you know, that's like $1,000 to get in the door. So damn expensive. So damn crowded. But we went to Disney Springs and walked around and saw some Disney characters. Not characters, but you can buy some crap from Disney. It's funny how immersed people down here are in Disney. I mean, they are drinking that Kool-Aid. Oh, man. I mean, the stickers all over the car, Disney Mom, Disney Life. 
They have the yearly passes and some people I know go multiple times a month. I'm yeah. like, you're back again? I'm like, hey, whatever you're into, it's I guess. It's the same ride you were on last time. It hasn't changed. Yeah, and the one it. one girl I know, she records the ride on Snapchats. And sends it every time? Every time. I've yeah. seen the Little Mermaid ride probably a hundred times. Never been on it. Hey, makes her happy, right? I don't need to go on it now. No, that's right. You've seen everything. So so nothing else is going on with me. Okay. Well, uh, any other... Uh, we, we usually do an Amazon addiction, uh, that, you know, but it's been you know Christmas time, so it's been usually buying things for others instead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But Well, that's the goal I, anyway. You, you did mention something that you bought like this week that was pretty good. Yeah, so it's random. I'm somebody that I'm very busy in the morning because I get up at like 4.30 and I go to work and yada, yada. So I like to do as much prep as I can the day before so i make a bunch of espresso and i put it in a ball jar like a mason jar with the metal lid and i noticed that the metal lid is turning black and i opened it and there's like black on my hands and i'm like oh, gross. crap it smells like metal i'm like is this safe to drink and i look it up like it leaks it's yeah weird. and they're like yeah it's safe to to drink i'm like okay well i'm not making another espresso so i'm drinking this crap So I'm like, there's got to be a better solution to this. So I looked on Amazon and they have plastic lids for the ball jar, mason jars. So if you're not canning, which I don't think the majority of people using mason jars are not canning, I highly recommend these plastic lids if you're doing salad dressings. Anything that's liquid that you're looking to store, like we went away, like we said to Orlando, I took coffee creamer with me, I put it in a ball jar so that I didn't have to bring the huge tub of coffee creamer. You're a planner. Like I'm that. a planner. So, I, yeah. I know. We'll put the link over on uh, the show notes. So. But it's, it's great. Yeah. So with that being said, let's get into this. Let's do it. So this is the murder of Peter Porco. This is a listener suggestion from Madre X4. So thank you so much for this. Peter Porco? Yes. Interesting name for sure. And I made sure I was pronouncing it correctly. I watched several videos. So it was November of 2004 and Peter and Joran Poe. Let me start that again. Peter and Joan Porco had been married for 30 years. So they had celebrated their 30th anniversary that year. They lived in Del Mar, New York. And they had two sons together. So Peter was 52 years old. He worked as a judge's law clerk while his 54-year-old wife, Joan, was a beloved speech pathologist within the Chalamont School District. They lived in a two-story home on Broccoli Drive. So Peter, you know, is a very reliable employee. We often start our cases this way. So when Peter's employers noticed that he hadn't arrived to work on the morning of Monday, November 15th, 2004, They were immediately concerned. He was a very reliable employee. He never didn't just show up for work. So they called the police and they requested a welfare check. And when the officer arrived, he was immediately concerned. He found the front door slightly ajar and there was a house key in the the lock to the door. So he looked down at the cement steps that would have led into the house and noted some drops of blood. So right away, concerning scene. So he enters the home and he was met with an absolute bloodbath. He looked to his right and he was horrified to see Peter lying by the front door in a pool of blood. It was clear that he was deceased. He had clearly suffered from terrible wounds to his head, having been bludgeoned to death. Just horrific. Yeah. 
So the officer followed the trail of blood and I watched videos and there was just blood smeared everywhere. There was a door in the hallway that would have led to the front door that was just coated in blood. So you could tell if somebody had walked around very bloodied. Yeah. So he's following a trail of blood around the house, the officer. And ultimately, you know, they're starting an investigation knowing, obviously, this is a horrific crime scene. So the police were dispatched to the house and the investigation began. So when they entered the upstairs bedroom, they had followed the trail of blood up the stairs. They found Joan and she was lying on the bed and they sprang into action because they were shocked to see that she was actually still alive. Wow. After describing the horrors that Peter went through, you got to figure that the same thing would be the same for Joan. And she was terribly, terribly injured. She had suffered severe injuries to her face and head such an extent that there was actually a portion of her brain that was exposed. The wounds were so terrible to her face that paramedics actually struggled to place her on oxygen because they couldn't easily identify where her mouth was on her face. Just awful. It's so heartbreaking. So despite the horrific injuries, she was actually conscious. That's nuts. Uh, Unbelievable. So seeing how severe her injuries were, Detective Christopher Bowdish of the Bethlehem Police Department, he jumped into action, fearing that Joan would not survive. Based on the way that she looked, there was no way she was going to survive this. So they wanted to take advantage of the fact that she was conscious, try to get some information from her as to what happened, who did this. So he asked her who had done this to her and her husband. She was unable to speak, so the detective instructed her to just nod her head in response to the yes-no questions. So she indicated, yes, that a family member had done this to her. Okay, that definitely narrows it down. It's like somebody was known. Yes, was somebody you knew? Yep, family member? Yep. Mm -hmm. So then she was asked if it had been her son, Jonathan. She shook her head no. When they asked if it was her son, Christopher, she shook her head yes. Oh, nice. Man, that is smart moves. I mean, you don't want to, like, traumatize the person more, obviously, as a police officer. But we need the information so that they're, you know, if they do pass, then, you know, it wasn't for nothing. Absolutely. They have the information. And they can get justice for what horrific things happen to this couple. Wow, so her son. So these interactions didn't just take place in front of that officer. The paramedics were also present in the room as she was clearly nodding her head yes and no. So they would later come back to testify. So as the bedroom was investigated, a three-foot axe was found just laying on the bed that actually belonged to the Porcos. I mean, we're talking a a big-ass axe here. Like wood chopping kind of Mm -hmm. axe, yeah. So blood spatter analysis of the room, as well as the injuries on the victim's bodies, indicated that Joan had been struck three times in the head as she slept in bed. With the axe? With the axe. Oh, gosh. That's being hit once anywhere with an axe? Like a freaking axe. Can you imagine that? No. I cannot, because like you just said, what that tool is used for is splitting wood. So you can only imagine the extent of damage that was done to these, these poor people. So um, then Peter had been struck 16 times in the head. Oh, my gosh. So as the bedroom, okay, so I already said that. So this, I'll tell you as we go along, it's, it's even worse. So Joan was immediately transferred to the hospital. She underwent emergent surgery. She was actually placed into a medically induced coma, really to allow her brain time to heal. So as the police continued their investigation, they found that the Porco home security system had been smashed. 
the home's landline for their phone had also been cut. A garage window screen had been slashed, so they weren't sure if that's how the person gained access to the house. Both Joan and Peter's wallets had been left untouched. Joan's jewelry wasn't taken. Neither were the home electronics. This did not look like they had come into that house to steal anything. Yeah, they were looking for blood. So this part is really, really what got to me, to my core. So investigators could not believe that they, or they couldn't understand, let's put it that way, why Peter was found downstairs by the front door, kind of in the foyer of the house, when it was clear he had been attacked in the bed. You could see by the extent of blood. And the blood in the bedroom was just unreal. You could see that it was on his side of the bed as well as Jones. So it was clear he had been attacked while he was sleeping in bed. So why was he found at the bottom of the stairs? And why was there blood throughout the whole first floor of the house? Why was there blood drops on the front porch? And why was the door ajar with the key in the, in the lock? That's mm-hmm. what investigators are trying to figure out. So after inspecting the blood trails... Police were shocked to find that after Peter had been so viciously attacked, and when I say viciously, that's an understatement, he actually got up out of bed and moved about, getting ready for work as he normally would have. Oh, like a habit kind of thing? Like a habit. Oh my gosh. And that just, that really hurt my my heart and my soul when I thought about the fact, because we do, remember I said in the beginning of this episode... Back to my routine. Yeah. We we do the same things. If you are getting your kids off to school or getting yourself off to work, you're doing the same things every day. Did you bring that up on purpose? I, I didn't. No, that's crazy. No, because we were just talking about vacations. Yeah, wow. So just out of habit, after having been struck by a three-foot axe in the head 16 times, this man got up and went about his day as if he was getting ready to go to work. Well, a quick uh, like side story. I may have brought it up in the past, but if you've ever read, read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. Which I need to. Yeah, 100%. Everybody should read it. It, it tells you exactly how you come up with your habits every day. Mm-hmm. Basically, your brain is trying to get you into a habit with everything so that you don't have to think about it each time. Mm-hmm. For instance, like when I, I used to drive to the same job every day and then we moved buildings um, it, from one building to another. They were kind of close or whatever, but you know, a few blocks away. I drove to the old building like two months after we moved yeah. without even thinking because I was listening to the radio and just drinking my coffee and just drove in and I pulled up to the office. I was like, holy crap, this is the old office. Like it was all the dark the lights were out and I'm like, I just went on autopilot. Yes. And a your lot of unconscious times, brain. Yeah. And a lot of times you can get home from work and be like, I don't even remember the drive because you're on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And for instance, there was a guy that had a lobotomy that this guy talks about on, on the, the book that he could not like speak to anybody or like really interact but you know he had no idea who he was or anything but he was able to take a walk around his neighborhood because his just habit knew Mm -hmm. where to go so it was ingrained in his brain yeah he didn't know where he was but he could he was able to complete it so this was the same thing you know Mm -hmm. possibly with peter yes it's just okay the alarm went off and i'm getting up and i'm walking so he was still conscious and just like didn't remember i just got bludgeoned by an axe yes absolutely and that's why the brain is so fascinating even to neurologists there's a lot we still don't even know about the brain So we'll find out a little bit more based on the evidence in the house, as well as the findings on his autopsy about what really happened here. So again, he moved about getting ready for his workday as he normally would have. And it's likely his body was in a state of shock 
as he moved from the primary bedroom to his bathroom sink to the kitchen. He actually started his coffee. He prepared his lunch. His lunchbox was on the counter. He tried to load the dishwasher. He also wrote a check to pay for one of Chris's recent parking tickets. And this is the son that Joan nodded her head yes when they asked if this was Chris. Mm. He then stepped outside. This is where we would have seen the blood drops on the porch. And it's likely he went out there to check for the newspaper. But what would have happened was that the door probably shut behind him and locked him out. He had the wherewithal to find the spare key in the flower pot and let himself back into the house because he had left the key in the door and his body was found inside the house right where he would have walked back in. Now, how the hell do the police put this together? Why wouldn't they think that he woke up and did all these things and then got blood? Based on the blood in the bed. Man. That's... And the blood spatter in the bedroom. I mean, as a as an investigator, you'd have to be like, are you sure this all happened? Like, it sounds far-fetched. And it? I watched the video of the home, and you could see this is exactly what happened. And it just truly, truly broke my heart to think that this man, in his mind that was so badly damaged, thought he was going to work. So Peter had been savagely murdered, and the autopsy showed that the top part of his brain, which is called the neocortex, had been severely damaged. This is the part of the brain that controls your language and your reasoning. So he wouldn't have been able to like talk to you and, and have a normal conversation with you had you walked into the house at this point. However, the underneath part of this surface was the paleocortex. This was actually unharmed. And this part of your brain controls second nature and habits, like you just said, atomic habits. Well, paleo, you know, that's where you know, the cavemen, like mm-hmm. how we used to eat and, you know, a long time ago. It's basically the, the chimp brain. So it's probably. your natural habits, your primal instincts, which is why he was actually able to get up and go through his daily routine unaware of the fact that he had been mortally wounded. He had no idea because wow. con- the conscious like reasoning part of his brain wasn't identifying. I'm badly injured. Like, you know, looking in the mirror, being like, I have an axe wound in my head. Like, no. you're just like brushing teeth. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, my that God. That part of so his sad. brain wasn't functioning properly because it had been struck 16 times. And wow. that just really broke my heart that this man had no idea he was he was dying. Yeah. So his skull had been penetrated. Part of his jaw was missing. When I say this poor man wandered around his house like... I mean, he you probably wouldn't even have been able to really see his face at this point. It's just tragic. So he had bled for many hours before he succumbed to his injuries. Because Peter had been struck so many times in comparison to the injuries that Joan had sustained, it was clear that the murderer walked into that house targeting Peter. So after Peter had been murdered and Joan remained hospitalized in critical condition, their son, Christopher Porco, received a phone call from a newspaper reporter. So this is even before police managed to get a hold of Chris. And probably before the press knew about Chris, right? Well, uh, no, because, well, yes. Maybe the, in terms of his involvement, yeah. yes. So like the press was just reaching out to family mm-hmm. members. So what this person, who who the hell does this, is reaching out to this guy asking for his comment about murder so soon to the fact that the police hadn't even gotten a hold yeah, of your, him. Your parents got murdered. Um, can you care to comment? It's like, no, buddy. Like, and especially not knowing what this kid's role is. Yeah. So at the time, at this time, Chris was, or he was 21 years old. He was attending the University of Rochester, which is 230 miles away from where his house was, his parents' house. 
So in the meantime, police had issued an all-points bulletin for Chris since Joan had identified him as her attacker. He called the police to ask what had happened to his parents. This is after he had gotten the call from the reporter. He was told that his father had been murdered and his mother was clinging to life. And of course, if he had nothing to do with this, he would know none of this. His voice was absolutely emotionless as he spoke to police and learned the news, which should have been devastating. And again, I know we say you never know how you're going to react in trauma, so you can't necessarily base it on that. But he never asked how his parents had been attacked. He remained in control throughout the conversation. And if you're called and told this horrific news, the first thing you're going to say is, what happened? How were they killed? Who did this? He didn't ask any of that. So police also looked into other potential suspects after a tip had come in that an unhappy litigant may have been angry with Peter about the outcome of a custody case in court. This person actually issued Peter a death threat, saying he was going to shoot him and the judge. Nice. But this person had a solid alibi and was ruled out as a, a possible suspect. So Peter's great uncle, Frank, had mob ties and was known as the fireman. That was his his mob name. So police wondered if Frank had threatened to talk to authorities and his associates sent him a message by murdering one of his family members with a fireman's axe. Oh. So they thought that they had a theory of that. However, this was quickly dispelled when they found out that Frank was actually incarcerated because he refused to snitch. Mm. So he wouldn't be an informant. And so he's solid. Quiet. Yeah, he wasn't going to snitch. So when police spoke with Chris's classmates, they indicated that he always claimed to have come from a very wealthy family. He told them about real estate holdings, various vacation homes. This was all a blatant lie. When some friends would ask to be invited to one of the many homes that the Porcos allegedly owned, he would quickly come up with an excuse as to why it wasn't possible that they vacation there. Mm. I had a friend in high school that just lied about everything. I mean, everything. She might lie about what she had for breakfast that morning. Why? Just because. I don't know. Yeah. But she drove a black Chevy Cavalier and told me that she had a yellow Mustang. And I was like, okay, where, where the hell is this yellow Mustang? Because we drove to school every single day. We would take turns. I would pick her up some weeks. She would pick me up some weeks. Where the hell's the yellow Mustang? Why don't we take out the Mustang mm-hmm. when it's nice outside? And she's like, oh, it's in storage. Oh, okay. <laughs> Always in storage. Sure it is. Yeah. I never once laid my eyes on that yellow Mustang. So when police spoke, okay, so I already said that, excuse me. So Chris had a tendency, obviously, to lie, and there were tensions between him and his parents because of his lying and because of financial reasons. Chris had taken out a loan, likely to pay for his tuition, but he had used nearly $17,000 of the loan to finance a brand new Jeep Wrangler. Priorities. Yeah. So he was also doing poorly in school. The university had suspended him at this point. So he had moved on to Hudson Valley Community College in the spring of 2004, where his grades were also suffering at community college. As he was touring around Europe, Joan and Peter discovered that Chris was also flunking out of community college. So they're aware of what's happening here. So in the fall of 2004, Chris managed to get readmitted to the University of Rochester after he had forged transcripts from the community college. 
because obviously his grades are horrific at the community college. Yeah. So in the meantime, he told his parents that he was being readmitted because a professor had misplaced his final exam from the previous year. And because the issue was the university's fault, they would be covering his tuition. Mm. That's very generous. Yeah, very. So in order to maintain this lie, Chris forged his father's signature on a $31,000 loan and also opened a line of credit with the bank, again forging his father's signature as the co-signer in order to help fund his new fun zippy yellow wrangler man so i mean that i was actually thinking about that the other day how signatures should not be like anything official no because like for instance our son can forge anything for anything within school and right. then like go on a field trip and it's like i never even saw the thing so so he'll be like oh shoot guys i forgot to give you this slip i'm gonna go ahead and sign your name he'll tell us sure yeah he's not sneaky like that but no it's still like it like everyone just assumes okay you sign this and you're good it's like no like that it means nothing nobody can authenticate it like even on a bank check for thirty thousand dollars they have a signature card you know like how like 1920s is that right it is very outdated and like you said a a field trip form is one thing whatever but when you're talking about thirty thousand dollars i'm sorry my signature should not matter i can nail your signature no problem like yours is pretty simple mine's kind of simple like if i if i would need 50 grand i can nail somebody's signature you could absolutely mimic my signature yeah like it's it's stupid my brother used to do that for my mom too yeah so adding insult to injury chris had also been stealing his friend's property and this is a very shady guy so this included his roommate's laptop so it, it turned out that he had the exact same make and model of computer um You'll see it. It comes back to him. His parents' home computers and cameras had also been stolen during the summer of 2003. They knew their son. They knew he was a liar. And they actually suspected that he was behind these things being removed from the house. That sucks. And like when you said that he had his friends, quote unquote friends, I'm sure he had no friends probably because they all knew that he was a liar. Maybe he was fun or whatever, but he just liked lying. Who knows? But it's like you knew that they all knew he was lying. So mm-hmm. they're like, hey, let's let's ask to go to his vacation house. They're like, hey, Chris, um, what, you know, uh, this this summer, let's, let's go to one of the vacation houses. He's like, yeah, probably. It's like, well, let's nail it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, do you, what do you say, June? It's like, well, I don't know. Okay, what about July? <laughs> you know. But a liar can be so good at what they do that they believe it themselves, so they come across as legit. Or not even good, but just like passing, on, passing it off, you know? Like, yeah, we'll talk about it later or something. It's just... Uh, I'm a horrific liar. You are. I hate lying. Yeah. So Chris had also developed a scheming system on eBay where he listed the items he had stolen, such as the computers, like his roommate's computer, the cameras that he would have taken from his parents' home, collected payments on the purchases, but then never sent the items. So when he received emails about the items not shipping, he posed as his older brother, who is 23-year-old Jonathan, and said that his younger brother, Chris, had sold the items, but he tragically died. Posing as Jonathan, he explained that he was unable to find the items and had no way of refunding the purchaser. Jonathan was a naval officer who would have been very negatively impacted by this behavior and had attempted to call his brother, so he must have found out. He tried to call Chris at least 40 times to get to the bottom of what the hell are you doing with my name, but never got a hold of him. So he's just a liar, a big, big liar. Doesn't care about who he hurts in the way. 
So two weeks before the murder, Peter was notified that the loan Chris had taken out was delinquent. Of course, Peter has no idea about this because his son went behind his back. So this was when Peter and Joan discovered that Peter's signature had been forged on the loan as well as the line of credit. They found that Chris hadn't paid for any of his tuition after receiving this money from the loans. So both Joan and Peter tried to reach Chris after discovering this information, but he never returned their calls. I would have gotten my ass in my car and driven straight out to Rochester and face that son of a bitch. You're going to steal my hard-earned money? I'm getting up for work every day and paying for your dumbass yellow Jeep Wrangler, you piece of crap. Yep. So he was because he was unreachable by phone, Peter wrote Chris an email expressing his disappointment about his dishonesty. He told Chris that if he were to do anything like this again, Peter would be forced to file forgery affidavits with the bank. He wrote, did you forge my signature as a co-signer? What the hell are you doing? I'm calling Citibank this morning to find out what you have done. Chris also didn't answer this email, so Peter sent a second email and said, I want you to know that if you abuse my credit again, I will be forced to file forgery affidavits. However, being a loving father who truly loves his son, whatever he's doing, Peter ended the email by writing, we may be disappointed with you, but your mother and I still love you and care about your future. That's nice. So sad. So around this time, Chris had arranged a meeting with an investment professional in order to receive financial advice, and he told this person that he would be soon coming into money. Yeah, the financial advice is like, stop being an idiot. Asshole. So when police spoke with Chris about his father's murder and his mother's attempted murder, he explained that he had been at school in Rochester. He was sleeping on the couch in his dorm on the evening of November 14th. He said that when he woke up the following morning, this is when he got the phone call from the reporter and he was told the news over the phone. This is the first time he learned that anything had happened to his parents. Mm -hmm. So it was the police's belief that Chris had driven the three hours to his parents' house, attacked them, and returned back to school before any of his classmates could notice his absence. Chris drove a very distinctive yellow Jeep Wrangler and surveillance video was obtained that clearly showed a yellow Jeep leaving the campus dorm area around 10.30 p.m. on November 14th. It returned the following morning, November 15th at 8.30 a.m. The video analyst ran the security images through a computer filter that further clarified the images and specific details from the Jeep matched those that were found on Chris's Jeep the day of the murder. And this included mud on the passenger side door, a torn parking sticker on the passenger side door, and a political sticker on the rear tire cover. However, these images couldn't definitively say who was driving the car. It was absolutely Chris's car that we saw in these images. Yeah. It was also discovered that the Porco home security system had been smashed after it had been manually deactivated. So their code to shut the system down was entered, then it was smashed. So with this information, police were able to deduce that Chris left campus at 10.30 p.m. He deactivated his parents' home security system at 2.14 a.m. So that's when he would have entered the house. While Peter and Jones slept in their beds, he attacked them. He cut the phone line at 4.59 a.m. and headed back to school, arriving at 8.30 a.m. Either before or after he attacked his family, he slashed the window screen to make it appear as if there was a break-in. Or who knows, maybe the window screen was just previously torn. Yeah. 
So Chris's brother, Jonathan, was stationed in South Carolina with the U.S. Navy. He told police that only a few people knew the code to the home security system. Truly, it sounded like maybe just the family of four, maybe somebody that would come in and help them when they were on vacation. Yeah, neighbor. Not a lot of people. Right. It's likely that Chris smashed the system, hoping to erase the fact that the code had been used to deactivate the system. But this clearly didn't work. No, you're sending information to it, dumbass. Mm-hmm. Every single Idiots. time you do something. Good good thing you're stupid. So Chris Porco was arrested for the murder of his father and the attempted murder of his mother. The trial began in July of 2006 with the defense arguing the lack of physical evidence that proved that Chris had been inside his parents' home that night. The prosecution did have a tollway ticket with Chris's DNA on it, but that was the extent of it. It was speculated that the attacker would have been covered in blood. However, when the Jeep was inspected, no blood was found within the car's interior. That's interesting. The bloody clothing was never recovered. The axe, which was the murder weapon, contained no fingerprints at all. It had been either the person was wearing gloves or it had been wiped cleaned. Odds are the person was wearing gloves because... Chris's DNA or fingerprints weren't found on the alarm system either. Mm -hmm. So the prosecution theorized that Chris was likely wearing scrubs from the veterinary clinic where he worked, which could have been easily disposed of and who knows where. He could have stopped at a dumpster, we don't know, on his way back to school, then leaving the clothes beneath unsoiled. That's very, very possible. Chris's attorney argued that Peter would often turn the home's alarm system off late at night in order to take their dog out and would often forget to re-engage it. They theorized that it was Peter who turned the alarm off that morning, but it was if that was the case, why would intruder why would an intruder take a hammer and smash the system? It wouldn't be going off. If it wasn't going off. There yeah. would be no reason to do that. So the family dog was also not said to be barking that night, so it was theorized that it was because the dog obviously would have recognized Chris. Right. So the window screen had been slashed for no reason as the killer entered the home through the front door. Some of Chris's fraternity brothers testified that he had not been asleep in the dorm lounge on the night of the murder. Apparently, he had given up his bed for somebody that was visiting, and that's why he said he was sleeping on the couch. They explained that they had watched a movie in the common area and had not seen him there. A neighbor of the Porcos also testified that they had seen a bright yellow Jeep on the driveway of the Porco home on the evening or early morning of the murder. Mm. And again, that's just the when you have a yellow Jeep, it's like I used to drive a, a green bug, a Volkswagen bug. You can identify that car anywhere. It's yeah, not it's like a unique. silver or a black SUV that everybody has. Right. So you you like to stand out, asshole. Maybe you shouldn't have gotten a yellow Jeep. Right. So, you know, they're, again, trying to just get as much evidence as they possibly can. So they reviewed toll roads. It showed that Chris's Easy Pass never registered, but investigators found that the Easy Pass tag was under the seat of the Jeep, which likely prevented it from registering. A toll booth attendant working the cash-only lane said they recalled seeing this yellow Jeep that fit the description of Chris's passing through that evening at the end of her shift, but she couldn't remember anything about the driver. Well, yeah, you see a million drivers a day. and But, yeah. but the thing is, you would definitely recognize that yellow Jeep. Like, what an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like, did borrow somebody else's car or something. Only a dozen cars went through the cash line during that time frame because she said it was, I think it was maybe 11 o'clock at night. So they checked that time frame. 12 cars went through. Investigators sent 12 toll tickets to be forensically investigated for DNA. One ticket contained Chris's DNA, so he had come through that toll line. Okay. 
So when Chris's car was searched, investigators found this, uh, again, the, the transponder was under the seat. Uh, the motive for the murder obviously was financially driven. His parents were aware of what was happening. He had gone to that person and said he was coming into a lot of money. Um, it was November. The school semester was ending, and it was likely that Chris would have been kicked out of school. He was unable to pay for his tuition. He was flunking his classes, and he likely wanted to maintain his university life where he was free to do whatever he wanted. He could party and be away from his parents' watchful eyes. He he had that window closing. He knew it was coming to an end. Man, you can like financial stuff seems like such a huge hurdle when you're in it, you know, when you have such challenges and things. But, you know, his dad probably would have figured out a way for him mm-hmm. to keep on going because he wants his success. And he's a liar. He's a piece of crap liar. And he would have been like, Dad, I promise I'll do better this time. You know, it's a much, much better option than killing your own parents. And obviously, he wasn't thinking logically because he's killing his own parents with a freaking axe. So, the, uh, man, you, you feel like you're just in the worst space and you hear a lot of like suicides and things. And it's just like there's resources out there to help. Mm-hmm. And it's like that things will be better five years from now. I promise they'll be better. I but promise. He wasn't like that. I mean, he go to class, get get your grades up. He just was lazy. He totally. wanted to just sit back, party and do nothing else. Yeah. Well, now you're going to be in jail. Stupid. So. Oh, I can't stand this guy. So it was said that his parents had a $2 million life insurance policy. One source said $1.1 million, but regardless, he would have come in over a million dollars that would have been paid out had both of his parents died. He would have also gotten the proceeds from the sale of the family home. Obviously, he has a brother. He would have had to share these, you know, this money with his brother. Chris never took the stand in his own defense during the trial. There was no direct evidence that placed the axe in his hands or placed him in the house on the night of the murder, but the jury found Chris guilty of second-degree murder and attempted murder, and he was sentenced to 50 years to life in prison on each count. Wow, awesome. That's mm-hmm. uh, I did not expect that. So second-degree murder, interesting. So they couldn't get first, um, so they, they got as much as they could, yes. basically. Wow, great job, jury. So during the verdict and sentencing, Chris showed zero emotion or a reaction, though some no Noticed that there was a red flushing to his neck. That's the biggest response they got. Mm. Joan miraculously survived this horrific attack. Holy cow. She lost her left eye and a portion of her skull. When she woke from her medically induced coma three weeks after the attack, she claimed to have no memory of that night, nor did she recall telling the detective that her son had been responsible for what had happened. To everyone's immense surprise, Joan made the decision to stand by her son, Chris, during the investigation and the trial. I mean, I get it. If like your own brain, which is all you can trust, you know, if your own Mm -hmm. brain tells you, no, this never happened, then you got to go with your own gut and you got to, you know, hope and think that your own son is never capable of this. Right. Who would want to believe that their son could walk into their house at two o'clock in the morning and strike their father in the head 16 times and them three times. And talk about like an insane situation with brains, like two crazy situations with their own brains. Yep. Like the, his dad was able to get up and do his own thing, getting ready for work. And his mom doesn't even remember saying that he did it. No, like, no recollection at all of that night. Thank God those paramedics were there too. And so it's mm-hmm. not just the one cop saying no. yes, because, you know, it'd be like, oh, the cop just wants to close the case. But and it's like, no, the paramedics saw it too. There's what, three people that saw her at nod? At least. Okay. And it was clear. Like they said it wasn't, you know, like a, is she nodding? Is she not? It was clear. Yes. With yeah. the shake of the head so 
her brain at that time remembered but after the trauma and being having surgery i mean joan was very much disfigured by this like i mean her skull was put back together and has no left eye so at that point in time she did right immediately after the attack her brain still had that that memory but not after the three weeks of being in a coma it well, didn't. and it could it could be like a you know a living situation where like she's just trying to survive so mm-hmm. it's trying to flush out those memories we've heard about that where it's just like your brain's like nope we're gonna put these in lock and key you're never gonna see these memories again but she had actually suffered brain damage well yeah but she knew then yeah true so i guess it's short-term memory loss. right so ugh. so she accused the detectives of botching the investigation and told them to leave her son alone she wrote them a letter it read I implore the I implore the Bethlehem police and the district attorney's office to leave my son alone and to search for Peter's real killer or killers so that he can rest in peace and my sons and I can live in safety. The happy life that my beloved husband Peter and our sons Jonathan and Christopher have lost or had was lost forever. After he was arrested, Joan provided the $250,000 for his bail, and the two actually attended the trial together. They entered the courtroom hand in hand, which was really sad because I have a son. You know, he's 15. Oh, me too. You do? Yeah. Oh, huh. well, that's weird. Yeah, interesting. But, you know, it really, it it just hurt my heart because I know for a fact Chris is guilty. I watched the video of his Jeep and... You know, granted, his you can't prove was it him, but his DNA, yeah, you can, because his DNA was found on the toll ticket. Like, I know that was him that went into that house only two weeks before his dad found out that the jig was up. You you took, you signed my name. It broke my heart to think that that mother, for self-preservation, wouldn't believe, you know, and I, I don't blame her. No, not at all. You, you know, can't. you're trying to protect yourself. Right, right. And it's got to be, it's got to suck as a police officer, like listening to her say like, what are you doing? You've botched the investigation. And th- that officer's probably like, lady, I wish we could rewind. I and know. you can just see yourself like you were in my arms or sitting there on your bed, bludgeoned and saying, yes, my son did this. And did Jonathan, his Chris's brother, have say anything about this? You at could all? tell Jonathan's relationship with Chris was not good. Well, he knows his <laughs> he knows his a brother's a piece of crap. He used his own name to better himself. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was just sad, and I'm sure the the detectives didn't take any offense with the letter because who wants again, like we just said, who wants to believe that their son was capable of doing this? Sure. I mean, she looks in the mirror, she's got a glass eye, her her skull has been clearly put back together. Who wants to say, My son did this to me? And I wonder what his mom has to say about him being at that toll. Like that How do you why dispute was he there? that? You could clearly see his Jeep driving. How do you how do you defend that? Yeah, I don't know. Granted, you know, you can come up with anything that you want, being like, Oh, maybe he was at a girl's house or whatever it might be, you know, but it's just like, no, there yeah, this is this is pretty the time frame. Yeah, him going to see the the first thing he thought about was going to see him coming into a lot of money like that. All this went to the financial person and said, I'm coming into money. Did Jonathan go to a financial advisor right away? No, Jonathan was in North Carolina or South Carolina. Right. So he he absolutely wasn't responsible. No, no. But saying like, that's not a normal thing to do. Like the first thing. Oh, well, I'm going to get a lot of money here. So let's get this plan. Of course not. You know, that's it's somebody that killed his family assumed that his mom would be dead he didn't even check on his mom no you know and assumed oh i'm just getting money right so during the trial jones sat in the witness box and recanted chris's lies and actions that occurred before her husband was so brutally murdered obviously her son lied she's not denying that the emails are there 
During her testimony, she said she had been scared twice in the month or so before the attack by the presence of a stranger in her driveway. One time had been during the night and one time was during the day. She said the police never followed up on this information or questioned her about it because they didn't need to. They knew who did this. Joan's skull had been badly damaged. Her left eye was removed. Her right eye was left with such poor vision that she needed a magnifying glass to read. Her brain suffered some damage and has slowed her ability to speak and process emotions, but those close to her say that she does remain intellectually sound. Lifetime TV Network has since made a four-television movie about this case called The Romeo Killer. The Christopher Porco story. In the movie, Chris is portrayed as a womanizer who was a sociopath. Chris has never viewed the movie, but he did sue Lifetime, and a judge issued a ban on the movie only days before it was set to premiere. However, in an appeal, a stay was issued on the order, and the movie was allowed to broadcast in March of 2013. Nice. That's good advertising for Lifetime. So journalist John Gray interviewed Chris on Tuesday, December 27th, 2022, and was asked if he committed the horrible crime, and he responded, I didn't. I had nothing to do with this. I've said that from day one because it's true. He added that he understands why police believe he did it, but they made mistakes in their case. He said that he and his mother speak on a daily basis, and they're a support system for each other. Yeah, because you feel guilty. You tried to murder her, you dumbass. He has a new legal team and plans to pursue a new trial. He believes that during the trial, he had ineffective legal counsel that dropped the ball on key pieces of evidence. He also feels that evidence was unlawfully seized and was used against him during the trial and that the government suppressed evidence that would have proven that he could not have committed the crime. Bullcrap. Yeah. So they believe that the timeline was too tight. So, of course, I put my investigative boots on. I'm That's like, right. Allison's on the case. You put me on this case. Hell no. I'll disprove that. So, of course, I whip out Google Maps and put in the Porco's address to Rochester, the University of Rochester. So, again, you know, he left the university at around 1030, came back to campus around 830. So, according to Google Google Maps, it's a three-hour and 22-minute drive each way, which would be six hours and 44 minutes round trip. According to surveillance video, again, he left campus at 10.30 p.m., arrived at 8.30 a.m., which is a 10-hour window. So uh, this would have been six hours and 44 minutes of driving, 10 hours total. So evidence showed the house, the security system was disarmed at 2.14 a.m., which was three hours and 44 minutes after he left campus. So that would have been about a 20-minute window that he could have just sat there. Yeah, makes sense. So perfectly doable. Yep. The phone line was cut at 4.59 a.m., which was then he would have likely left immediately after that, yep. which would put him back at school hmm, 8.21 a.m. That video showed him at 8.30, so right on track. So I don't know what he's talking about. It's with like, no, actually, Chris, it's that, a perfect window. That timing is actually quite perfect. <laughs> Especially in the middle of the night when there's no traffic. So it would have basically given him a window of about three hours and 15 minutes to commit the crime after driving was taken into account. Yeah. So Chris remains incarcerated at the Clinton Correctional Facility in Dannemora, New York, and he will not be eligible for parole until 2052. His mother still maintains that her son is innocent. Yeah, poor thing. And that is the tragic murder of Peter Porco and the attempted murder of Joan, Joan Porco. And it's just, the whole thing sucks. Man, just, uh, you know, family life isn't the same anymore. You know, his 
brother Jonathan, the son Jonathan, goes away and does his what military thing, right? Uh the did I say the navy? Navy and just goes away, and his own brother kills his dad and mom, and now obviously he probably doesn't associate with any of them anymore. So, and it sucks because it's like, mom, like we're still the same people, like, and then she probably you know resents him maybe i'm just guessing you know uh, you know, know we don't know the inner workings but if, if right. i put my f- shoes or my feet into um jonathan's shoes i mean you talk to your mom and she's like yeah i talked to christopher today and blah blah, blah. i'd be like f that mother effer please like, don't bring up his name when we talk jonathan must know oh. that obviously this was his his brother yeah 100 percent. but That's... it's it just it's so sad that a close family of four they were loving they were obviously supportive after peter found out what his own son had done and forging his name he still said your mother and i love you and we want the best for you yep. and this is what happened yep sad stuff so thank you for telling his story and it just shows like i mean anything can happen to any, anybody it's you, you know you don't think a liar is going to go kill their own family and, you know, it just always gets me about money. Like, it's not there's so much evil behind money. It's yeah. like, what are you doing with this money? Yeah. You just want to sit at the University of Rochester and be a dumbass in your yellow Jeep? Well, they're thinking about just current situation. Like, I just want to go out and party and go travel and whatever. It's just, At it's, the expense of your parents' life? I mean, and hopefully everybody listening does not think the same thing. So, oh, you know, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, that we're, We'd be living in a very scary world no if that kidding. was the case. No kidding. So, well, thank you for telling that story. And if you, you know, like the way we tell stories, then a great way to help support us, this little uh, mom and pop podcast that we have here, I'm Pop. And I'm Ma. You can go ahead and go over to Patreon. It's uh, in the show notes. And go ahead and become a patron for as little as five bucks. Uh, could be 10 bucks. And uh, if you do the 25 bucks, we'll send you a free t-shirt too. So. Yes. And this week is where we officially start our bonus bonus episodes, which we have named Espressodes because we're taking the banter out of the episode and just giving you a compact story with all the punch and caffeine of a regular episode. Yeah, and so lots of taste and flavor. We'll be officially having four bonus episodes a month. Um, we are also expanding over to Apple Podcast subscriptions. If you use Apple devices and you want to do that, you can that, that'll be available to you. Yeah, it's all the same. So don't do both. I mean, you could, yeah, no. but you're just kind of... You'd be double dipping in the same pot. Yeah, yeah. So. so thank you and welcome to the Crime and Coffee Couple Club to Casey, Whitney, Gail, Amy, Maddie, Lauren... Morgan, Diana, Kathy, Sarah, Rachel, and Elizabeth. So had to copy two pages. So that is awesome and incredible. And so we're so, so, so thankful. We had a couple people say, hey, I love how you guys don't have advertisements. And, you know, if it would be awesome never to have ads. But, I mean, I'm sure they'll come at some point. But Yeah, we don't know what the future holds. I mean, and... we, we are podcast listeners, too. I freaking hate mm-hmm. ads. I hate oh, them. I hate them, too. I mean, granted, I just hit the 30, 30, 30, or yeah. whatever, 15. If we ever get them, we're probably just going to put them in the beginning. Is what yeah, I mean, that's what I would think. We'll face that whatever. ship when we get to it. But, um, we did want to do a special shout-out. One of the Patreons is your mom's best friend, Kathy. Yes, thank you. She's uh, super nice. and it's You've always... known her since you were a child. We still send Christmas cards every we year do. she's a lovely woman so thank you thank you all thank you kathy i talked to your mom she's like kathy puts her earbuds in and listens to you oh, guys so sweet i'm like oh that warms my heart so much I it can burst i can't believe i'm swearing in front of miss kathy yeah you should be ashamed and if you talk about anything <laughs> like sex or whatever just remember kathy is listening oh hey you know that's how we all got here right <laughs> that is true so that's hey if you're listening then somebody had sex for you to be here that's where we tell the kids we all tell the, time. the kids we're like you are the strongest swimmer of 
all the swimmers in your group of sperm. <laughs> you came out of daddy's uh, sack. So okay. good. Okay. Mike does. He likes to make people very uncomfortable. It's I'm kind like, of my why? method. It's my method. I like to t- test the waters. Yeah. Just... you ju- The line is there and you pole vault over it. Yeah. I'm because like, I like to, the things that you're not supposed to talk about. I like to bring them up. And well, see. I don't. I know. Well, you, you seem like you're like you're getting flushed. <laughs> I think I'm blushing. I'm hot all of a sudden. Yeah, you are. Oh, well, we got to go, folks. <laughs> no, we don't. Let's stay on here and talk and talk and talk. Uh, we'll I don't want to go. I don't want to be alone with him. We got to go. So uh, thanks for everything. Thanks for listening. And, and until next time, bye. bye.